You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. All right. The Godfather, I mean God the Father, has been taking care of business uh, with the book of Malachi. I mean Malachi. Um, I love this. Somebody told me I kept calling, even in the message, I kept calling it the book of Malachi. So I... It's not intentional, but it is kind of funny. In uh, Malachi, God refers to himself as Lord God Almighty, which means supreme, self-existent one who doesn't need you, basically the boss. So the boss has been speaking basically uh, a few thousand years ago. The Israelites, uh, they went back to their homeland, built a temple unto God again after being exiled. And when they came back, they got lazy, they got uh, apathetic. They got disjointed and disheartened from God and God had had enough. So he sent a messenger. The word Malachi means messenger. So he sent this messenger, Malachi, and through Malachi, God begins to challenge the people to get themselves together. It was written to people who were about to walk away from God um, because they felt God just wasn't working out for them. So God responds quite sternly, and uh, Malachi addresses a whiny and complaining people who say that serving God is uh, is a drudgery, and that serving others is a drudgery. And and you know what? It applies to us because we're guilty of the same thing. So what we've been doing is looking at what God is saying to them, and then kind of seeing how that connects with our life. And he starts off... and. With Malachi 1, verse 1 and 2, we say this each week, and the book starts off with a prophecy. That means a strong word, a heavy word. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. Now, I want to bring this up because Malachi is pretty harsh. It's one of the harshest, in-your-face, almost offensive books in the entire Bible. In fact, there are some things said in chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2 that are like, wow, warning, here it comes. Because it's almost to God, can he really or does he really say that sort of stuff? Who says the Bible is boring? Malachi starts off with this, though. God says, I love you. He says, I'm telling you what I'm about to say because I love you. So today we, we wrap it up. And I want you to know right off the top, that God loves you deeply and cares for you. And today's message is probably the harshest of all four. In week one, we talked about how God expects to be treated like God. In week two, we talked about how he expects to be the center of our marriage and family. Last week, we looked at how he expects for us to provide help and justice to the weak. And today, he expects us to follow him no matter what happens. So, Malachi ends with a glimpse of the future. Today we're looking at our anniversary. We're also going to be looking at our future uh, in the coming weeks. But today we're going to look at the very end. Malachi talks about the future for every one of us. So I'm going to do something real quick before we do. And I'm going to need some help. I need to divide this room up. So, Marcus, could you take this and pass it back to you? And let's let's see how far we can get this, this, this cord to go. Just kind of keep taking it back. And if one of you can kind of cross it to the back, I'm not really sure how far it will go, but let's, um, let's just see. Uh, don't pull out of my hand. So, yeah, let's just, yeah, let's do that. You know, let, let's not cross it on the, 
Yeah, let's go ahead and do it right down the middle of the soundboard. All right, so I'm going to tie it down here in case you pull it. And uh, we're going to come back to that in a minute. All right, I've divided the room because we're going to talk about a great, about a great divide today. We're going to talk about a divide in Scripture that Malachi talks about. And it's probably one of the most harshest divides in the Bible. It's the divide between the reviled and the remnant. So let's take a look at where we left off last week in Malachi, chapter 3, verse 13. It's about a group of people that reviled God, and guess what? God in return reviled them. Verse 3, I mean, chapter 3, verse 13 says, You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? Now, if you notice, every time God brings up an issue with the people, their answer is, how, when, you know, show us, tell us how, when did we ever do that? There's this sense of just arrogance and obnoxiousness. And what we're going to find is there's a divide between a remnant and a reviled. And I want you to write this down because we're going to go through this pretty quick. The reviled are ones who struggle to see their own sin. And we're going to see this over and over again in Malachi. They're like, how, when, when did we ever do that? Show us, nah, God, you've got it wrong. And there's this sense that once again, they deny having done anything wrong. But God knows and hears everything in our life. He knows the deepest parts of our heart. But yet pride and arrogance had been leading them. And the Bible says that God resists the proud. Now, there are some of you that are just like that today. And you're like, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You're like, my life is fine. You know, God, that's cool. He does his thing. But, you know, I've got my life. I've got my things. I got the things that I do. And you struggle to identify the, the, own, uh, the sin in your own life, just like them. He goes on. This is a definition of the reviled. He says, verse 14, you have said it is futile to serve God. What we what do we gain by carrying out this, his requirements? He says, where's our, where's our piece of the prize? Where, what's the benefit for us? What do we get out of this, God? He says, in going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty, he says, basically, you know, they go around serving God like it's a pain, and we walk around all sad and depressed like mourners, because isn't that what God wants? Depressed, sad, boring people? A lot of people think that Christianity is like boring. Man, I don't want to be a Christian because they're so boring. I want to be me. And Christians put you in this bondage, this box. They write, they, they tie ropes around you. And they make you into robots, you know, where you're like, <laughs> somebody drop a beat. No, just kidding. They make everybody into clones. Somehow that being a Christian is lame. Well, the reviled, all they're looking at is their own gain. They're, all right, God, I can do this whole boring thing, which is a total misconception of serving God. He says, I can do this whole boring thing and act like a mourner and sad and depressed and serious all the time, but where's my benefit? And the reviled, they want to know what they can get out of God. Okay, God, I'll become a Christian, but what do I get? Where's my profit? Where's my gain? Verse 15, he says, but now... We call the arrogant blessed, certainly evildoers profit or prosper. Basically, uh, they're saying it's more profitable to not serve God than it is to serve God. 
And even when they put God to the test, that means when they do things God specifically says not to do, it says they still get away with it. I love this. This is the reviled. They see living for God as a waste of time. The reviled say, you know what? I don't see any difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians look just like they're not saved and act just like it. But then some people look at the world and say, you know what? If, if all these guys that aren't serving God are wealthy, successful, and, and have their dreams come true, and, and their marriages are fine, why do I need God? What a waste of time. Because I, I can not live for God and do my own thing, and good things still happen. So the reviled are those that basically think that serving God And living for God is a waste of time. So you've got a a group of people who can't identify that they are sinners. They've got a group of people here that think that living for Christ is boring and they just want what they want. They just want something out of God. They want something that benefits them. And then there are those that just see it as dumb, a waste of time. What's the point of serving God? They often, you know, a lot of people like this, they look at Jesus as just a crutch for the hurting uh, yeah, you need, you need some religion because obviously, you know, you're in jail. You need some religion. Or you're sick. You know, you're about to die. Yeah, that's, you know, go to God. He'll kind of give you some comfort. But I'm fine. I can live my life and I don't need a crutch. A lot of people that look at God as a crutch. I want to tell you something. Jesus is not a crutch. He's a stretcher because I can't walk without him. I can't live without him. And I found that so clearly the case when I had cancer. I knew there was nothing in my power that was ever going to change my life. I wasn't looking for a crutch. I found out that I needed someone to hold me fully. That's who Jesus is. Well, the future that they were looking for was the bigger car, bigger house, more money and stuff. God, if I can't get that, then why serve you? Let me ask you a question. Is it profitable Is it a profitable life to serve God? What do you think? Sometimes it is. A lot of times it's not profitable in this life to serve God. When you look at all the great heroes of the Bible, these are men that went through tremendous pain and suffering. Well, that was before Jesus, before the Holy Spirit filled us. Well, let's look at the New Testament. Every character... Every person in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, Peter, every apostle went through tremendous pain, suffering, persecution, and tragedy. Every one of them. And it was not in spite of Christ. It was because of Christ. Many of them were, well, let me put it this way. Out of the 12 original apostles, 11 of them were put to the death in a very violent manner because they lived for Jesus. Had they not lived for Jesus, they would have lived a a ripe old age as a normal person. But in Christ, this life doesn't always have the profit. In this life, things don't always turn out the way. But this is what 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, we're going to go through an entire book study of 2 Corinthians during the summer. And it is a whole book all about pain and suffering. So plan on joining us for that. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this in verse 58 of chapter 15. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. He's talking about trials and persecution. He says, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He says, you know what? It's going to be hard to live for God. It's going to be hard to serve him. Sometimes it's a great life. Sometimes it's not. 
But our reward is not here. Our reward is another place. So I want to challenge you guys because we're talking about today's message is all about all the way to the end. We're going to talk about what it means to be the remnant. There's the reviled and there's the remnant. I've divided the room. I'm going to come back to that in a minute because some of you are on the reviled side. Let's just pretend that this is the reviled side. And this is the remnant. (laughs) You guys look in your face. All right, grab your stuff. Go ahead and move over there. (laughs) Ugly attitudes, reviled. All right. This is what it says. He goes on in Malachi verse 3, verse 16. He says, and then there are those. He says, and then those. That word those means leftovers. (laughs) It means there is a second group of people. There is the reviled and now there is the remnant. And the remnant is a leftover amount. And in the Bible, the word remnant or the use of a remnant is often a reference to people that God has picked or chosen or those by God who have decided to choose to live for God despite the reviled. So now Malachi, after giving a description of the reviled, he now gives a description of the redeemed, uh, the redeemed, the remnant. So let's kind of look at this in uh, one group. The second group set apart. Verse 16, he says, Then those who feared the Lord. Here's what the remnant says. Here's how you know you're in the remnant. Because the remnant says, I will fear the Lord. Now, I want to explain that. And we've talked about this before. Let me define what fear means. Fear does not mean, I bid you adieu, God. Yes, I honor you. Oh, I, oh, Father. You know, you have the, oh, Father. You know, my voice can't get low enough to make it sound holy, you know, Jesus, you know, God, you know, there's, it is not this sense of reverence. You know what fear means? It means being afraid. It says that we are, it means this, it means those who feared the Lord. That means all. It means complete humility. It means a consciousness of God's greatness and majesty. That God, you're right about everything, and I'm wrong about most everything, that your view is all that counts, and I tremble at the thought of offending you. Think about that. It's not, God, I respect you. This is, God, I am so consciously aware of your majesty and greatness that I am in fear of offending you. That is what it means. Now, I think the church has lost a healthy fear of God. And we've talked about this before. He is holy. He is righteous. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the everlasting to everlasting. He is, as Malachi says again and again, He is the Lord God Almighty, self-existent one who doesn't need you to make Himself feel better. He's not up in heaven going, Oh man, I wish they would just look to me because I'm so, my hands are tied up here and I need somebody. God will work and do what He wills, the Bible tells us, with or without you. We get to be a part of his story when we acknowledge the fear of God. Now, this is a healthy fear, a fear that says, God, I more than respect you. I am in awe of your majesty. In fact, fact, the apostle Paul said it this way to the church in Philippians. He says, we are to continue working out our salvation with fear and trembling. 
What does that mean? I thought, we were, I thought God just is a loving God. We just love you, God. You're my best friend. He is our best friend. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is a father, someone who we can call out and call daddy father. But we must never forget, the word Abba Father means daddy father. We can never forget the majesty of God. And we need to continue to walk with God with fear and trembling, a seriousness of who he is. To know God is to fear him, is to be stunned. It's realizing he is not there to meet our needs just, but we are here to serve and honor him. The fear of God leads us to the realization that we need a savior, that because God is holy, and guess what? We're not. None of us are righteous. Not a single one of us on our own. You may never have killed somebody. Maybe you have. You, maybe you, you might say, well, I've never raped somebody, but maybe you have. Maybe you're in this room and you have. Maybe you've never done a horrible thing, but you, maybe you have. And if you haven't done those, maybe you've thought them. Maybe you've wanted that guy dead. Maybe you've wanted to see that person die. Maybe you have had such deep, lustful thoughts for someone you had to clear your mind just to get the perversion out of your thoughts. I want to tell you something. Not everything that goes on in our mind, thank God, do we act out. Are you, are you thankful for that? Because there's a lot of things going on in my heart and in my mind that I have to daily take to God. And I may not be in prison, and I haven't been in prison, thank God, though some of my family have, <laughs> had I thought and done the things that were in my heart, I might be there today. There but the grace of God, any one of us goes. But I want to tell you something, this whole idea here, that we are sinful beings who are in our heart self-seeking, and one day we will stand before God is a scary idea. A God who's perfect and holy and just, it tells us we need a savior. We need someone to stand in our place. And that is what the book of Malachi is leading us to. All right, here's the next thing. I want you to write this down. Well, let's look at it first. Malachi 3.16, not only says those who fear the Lord, it says, that, but those who fear the Lord talk to each other. Who do they talk to? They talk to each other. And the Lord listened and heard when they talked to each other. Check that out. He listened and heard when they talked to each other, and a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and those who honored his names. Names were written down. Commitments were made. The remnant says this. Write this down. It says, I will be counted among the Lord's people. I love this. A remnant says, I will fear the Lord and acknowledge his majesty and his honor. I'm humbled before a holy God. And a remnant says, I will be counted among God's people. And I love this whole idea. Basically, it says, put, me, put my name down. Sign me up. I love this. He says, they shared together. They prayed together. They cried out together. They encouraged each other. The remnant understands the power of godly community. That word honored there, it says, and they honored his name means esteem. That means they lifted him up above all other things. Basically, count me in, God. Count me among those that will live for you. And whether anybody follows or not, I will still go. Whether my family chooses to follow you, still I will follow. 
If my kids say God is dumb, God, I will still live for you. If my spouse says that Jesus is a joke, then Jesus, I will still live for you. If my parents never choose to live for you, God, still I will. If my best friends turn and walk away, if they're among the reviled, God, still I will be a remnant and I will choose you. I will be counted among God's people. Verse 17, he says, on that day when I act, by the way, again, this last portion is all about the return of God. It's all about the return of the Messiah. It's all about the return of Jesus. This is why this is one of the scariest and harshest chapters in all of Malachi or the last section. He says, on that day when I act, when the Messiah comes back for the remnant, he says, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possessions, the remnant. They will be spared. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. There's four great promises that when you give your life to Christ, there's four things here mentioned that God says he does for you. Through Christ, verse 16 says that the Lord listened and heard. Let me tell you something. Through Jesus, God listens to you. The Bible says that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. Everybody say, no one. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when we bow the knee to Christ, when we invite Jesus into our life to rule and reign, when we acknowledge him as the king, he's already the king with or without you. When we acknowledge him as the king, guess what happens? All of a sudden, we have this union with God that's unlike anybody else in this world apart from Christ. Because now we know through Christ, God listens. Our prayers, we can be assured, are heard. And then he says, the Lord Almighty says, they will be mine. God claims us. The remnant through Christ, he calls us his own. We become sons and daughters to a compassionate father. I love what Jesus said in John 1, 12. He says, yeah, all who received him... This is uh, John, the writer, talking about Jesus in John chapter 1. He says, all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I want Here's a revelation, might be. Not everybody on the planet is a child of God. Everyone on the planet is a creation of God or procreation. But the Bible says that apart from Jesus, we're orphans. We're homeless When we become a follower of Christ, when we acknowledge the blood of Jesus Christ, when we become his remnant, guess what? At that point, we become a child of God. We become a child. We become a son and daughter of God. We were once orphans, but now he calls us his own. And through Christ, he claims us. I like this next one. It says to the Lord Almighty, it says they will be my treasured possession. In Jesus, God treasures you. I want you to hear this. You are prized. In Christ, you are valuable again. Regardless of your past, regardless of your sin, you are made brand new through Christ and you become a valued treasure. Some of you have been hurt and abused and you're like, God, I am worthless. I, I, I'm, I'm dirty laundry, God. I'm a broken flower, whatever analogy you want to use. When you become a follower of Christ, when you invite Christ to live and rule and reign in your heart and acknowledge the blood sacrifice that he made for us, that he forgave us of our sins, you move from reviled to remnant, and you become a treasure of God. You become one that God says, I love you. In fact, Psalm 139 says that that his thoughts for his people 
are so wonderful and there's so many of them that they outnumber the grains of sand on a beach. Imagine that if you've ever walked a beach, picking up a single grain of sand and then trying to count the granules of sand on a beach. The analogy in 139 is his thoughts for you, his grand, beautiful, treasured thoughts for his children outnumber the grains of sand on a beach. It's amazing. You become his treasure through Christ. Some of you guys, you need some value. Some of you have done some things that you're pretty ashamed of. Some of you have done some things that if you hadn't done would have projected your life in a totally different direction. You know what? Through Christ, you have new life. You have a new beginning. You have a fresh start. And God says, oh, my treasure. Young lady, young man, senior, you are a treasure. I love that. And then he says, and I will spare them. What does that mean? On that day, on that mystery day, the Bible tells us that Jesus will return for his remnant. And on that day, the reviled, we're going to find out, Malachi gets pretty descriptive, what happens to the reviled, there'll be a division. There'll be a great divide. And the reviled will have their day before God. We're going to talk about that in a second. But he says, my remnant, they'll be spared. They will be spared. Romans 1.12 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, he looks at you and says, not guilty. That was my best attempt at a gavel. It was more like knocking on wood. Um, Yet again, this is not for everyone because verse 18, he reminds us of Malachi 3. He says, and you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. All right, so I'm going to get my rope here. If you have it in the back, could you just raise it up? Okay, there's a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. All right, that's what he says. Let's read this. He says, There'll be a distinction. There'll be friends of God. There'll be foes of God. There'll be those that are lost. There'll be those that are found. There'll be those that are dead in their sin. There'll be those who are alive. There'll be those who are in the light and those that have been walking in the dark. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, check it out. The Bible even calls it a... Yeah, you want to be on the righteous here. Let me do this. There we go. She's, She's leaning into the... All right, sorry, she's willing to live without you, Chris. All right. (laughs) Here's the deal. The Bible says in Matthew that there's what's known as the tares and the wheat, the wheat and the tares parable. Basically, a tare is a weed. So it's a parable between the weeds and the wheat. And basically, it says that there is among us, among the church, among people that call God their Lord but don't really live like it, there are those... Among us, he said, who are like weeds. Basically, weeds look a lot like wheat, except they're not wheat. They have no benefit. And when they are plowed, they are divided, separated, and the weeds are burned. Basically, Jesus says, there are wheat and weed people among you. There are those that are among you that are tares, that are weeds. And the disciples said, should we kick them out? And Jesus said, no, let them grow among you. Because one day I will come back and I will separate the wheat from the weeds. And on that great day, Jesus said, those weeds will burn. So hold that thought. Oops, dividing another couple here. All right, I'm going to come back to this. Here, I'll hold it. So this is what he says. He says, there'll be a great distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those, <laughs> between those who serve God and those who do not. So here's the third thing. Whoa, careful. 
he popped it. Here, let's move it over here. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Um, here's the deal. He says, between those who serve God and those who do not. Here's the third thing. Those that are the remnant say, I will serve the Lord. We serve a gracious father. Much like the prodigal son who was broken and humbled, who went back home and said, I will graciously be, because I know my compassionate father is so wonderful, I will graciously be a slave and a servant. I will be a servant to my father the rest of my life, even if I get no benefit out of it because of his compassionate love and that he takes care of me. A lot of us, it's time to run back to the father, a gracious father. We serve out of a love, deep compassion. In the same story, there's an older son who never left the father, who has the mentality of a slave, who says, you know what? I've worked harder. I've been here longer. I've done more than anybody else. Where's my reward? And he hated the drudgery of serving and living for his father. The Bible says we ought to serve him. Isn't it interesting how we all want to be called a servant of God, but we don't want to be treated like one? God, make me a servant. Just don't let me be treated like one, right? God, I want to serve others, but I still want to go first. God, I want, God, give me a heart like you, but make sure I get the biggest piece. God, I love you so much. I want to serve God, but I want the closest parking spot. God, let those at work get left behind. Give me the race first. Give me the position first. God, I'll serve you as long as I'm first. It's kind of funny, but to be the greatest, we got to be the last. All the greats of the Bible were called a servant. For example, the greatest title that Moses had from God is simply my servant Moses. Jesus perfectly modeled it. How do we serve God? By serving others. We spent a lot of time on this last week. Check it out online. Is that God has called us to serve and to care for those. In Hebrew text, by the way, we're going to move on to the next section. In Hebrew text, there is no chapter 4. In Malachi, it's all one big chapter 3. So we're going to read it the way they read it. We're going to go right into it. No break. Malachi 4.1, however, says, Surely the day is coming. He just talked about the great division. And then he says, the day is coming. No doubt about it. And he says, it will burn like a furnace. The future for some of you is going to be hot. Hot, hot, hot. Some of you are like, man, yeah, a hot future. I don't think you want this hot future. He says, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant... And the evildoers will be stubble. That means they'll be kindling to a great fire. Wow. And the day that is coming will set them on fire. Mm. Says the Lord Almighty, not a branch, not a root or branch will be left to them. Basically, he says, a day is going to come and it is going to be hot for some of you. There are some of you in this room, a day will come for you if you are the reviled. And it will be a hot day for you. The future doesn't look so bright for some of you at the end. And I'm going to challenge you. It does not have to be that way. It does not have to be that way. He says, not a root or branch will be left to them. He's saying, not a single person will escape this. Not a one of us will be able to say, but God, I missed that week at church. But God, I was a good person. But God, my mom was a Christian. But God, my my wife was a believer. But God, my friends took me to church one time and I showed up and God, I checked it off my list and God, it was touching. Lord, I believe in you, but, but God, I wanted my own life too. 
He says, there will be a day when we will all stand before him. And, and I got to see this and I got to go, ouch. Man, does God really deal with people so harshly? What's the deal with God's judgment? I thought God was loving. I thought, I thought God was a good God. He is loving. He is good. But guess what? This same God is also very holy. He's pure and righteous. And those that are unrighteous, standing before a perfectly holy, righteous God, the Bible refers to God as a consuming fire. We talked about this last week. He says there'll be those who, apart from Christ, standing before a very holy God. He can't be unholy, guys. God can't turn down his righteousness for you. He can't go, all right, here comes, you know, I'm just going to pick a name and I'm not picking on anybody. Here comes Barry. Anybody named Barry in here? It's an obscure name. I'll pick one of the, uh, um, one of the guys from, um, I'll, I'll say Harry. Uh, you know who I'm talking about, Noel, right? <laughs> Let's just say there's a guy named Harry, Barry, and Ari. She knows what I'm talking about. Uh, who, who is it? Who is it? Who, who am I talking about? Hold on, hold on, help me out here. Um, uh, no, oh, footnote, hold on. I won't be able to move on until I get this. Boy band. No. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. One Direction. I was joking about uh, how, you know, just make them all, you know, Aries and just anyhow. Let's just say Barry shows up. Barry hasn't been living for God for very long. In fact, he hasn't been living for God at all. And God says, all right, here comes Barry. Hold on, guys. I'm a loving God. Barry hasn't been so good. So let me turn down my wrath a little bit. Let me turn down my my fire. Let me turn down my holiness and righteousness. God doesn't have a volume. He doesn't have a gauge. He doesn't have a meter. He is holy perfect and just all the time. So that means one day we will stand before him. Malachi is a book to people who are about to walk away from God. That God wasn't working out for them. God is reminding them, guys, this decision to live or not live for me is larger than this short life. This life is a blink. There will be a future face-off. I want to ask you, will you be ready to face God? Verse 4, I mean, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, he goes on. We're going to wrap it up in the next couple of verses. It says, but for you who revere my name, that's the remnant, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will break out and leap like calves released from a stall. He says, when I come back, it's going to be a great day. For the remnant. Let me explain this. There's four things about what it means for those of us who are remnant, what it means for us when Christ returns. He says, number one, he says, it'll be a rising sun. There's a sense, the Bible says over and over again, that Christ, when he rises, will be like the rising sun in the east. He'll be a great, magnificent light that shines down on all of us, expelling the darkness once and for all. And he says he'll have beams of righteousness. That means all on whom he falls, his righteous will continue to shine on as his righteous. And then it goes on to say that there'll be healing in his wings. Some translation says there'll be healing in his rays. There'll be healing in his wings on that great day when Christ returns, the remnant, those of you that have been waiting your whole life for a healing but never quite got it, you will be restored. 
Those of you that have been sick in your body, those of you that have lost, those that you love who have died in Christ before you, on that great day, there'll be healing in his wings to bring new life to you, to, to restore that which is broken. All will be made new. And then he goes on to say, and you will break free like calves. This whole idea is you will be broken free from the captivity that you've had your whole life. There's this great picture in, in the scriptures here that in this life, we're like limited to our, our feelings, our emotions, our abilities, to our struggles, our own sin, even after we give our life to Christ, is pounding us, drawing us, and always trying to conflict with our desire to know God. But he says, on that day that he returns, you'll break free from the stall, the captivity that you are in will be broken. You will break free. He brings freedom to the captives, and he says, you will leak. Leap like calves. There's a sense that on that day that he comes, you'll be filled with complete joy and new life. I love this. John says it in Revelation. He says, he will remove all their sorrows. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain for the old world and its evils are gone forever. This is for all who acknowledge Jesus Christ who are counted among the remnant. Verse three says, then you, the Messiah, will trample on the wicked. That's the reviled. And they will be ashes under the soles of your uh, feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. Here's the last thing. The remnant says, I will keep the Lord's word close. This is what the remnant does. The remnant says, I will fear the Lord. The remnant says, I will be counted among God's people. The remnant has this great picture of God and says, Lord, I will serve you graciously. And fourth, Lord, I will keep your word close to my heart. For us to look forward, we need to look backwards. We need to look back to here. It's not out of date. It's not old-fashioned. You know, as you read the scriptures more, you realize more and more how much it applies to our life, connects with our life. This is, today we're, we're talking about a story that's over a, 2,500 years old, a book that was written 2,500 years ago. And it reads like it was written yesterday. It applies to our life. We must learn how they read it and then learn how we can apply it to our life. That's how you read scripture. God's word holds the key to your life. He holds the key to your future. And now the final two verses in the entire Old Testament. Malachi is the last book in the OT. The final words. You think the last words of God would be pretty important, right? Let's take a look at what they are. Verse 5. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He says, there's going to be someone who's going to come in the power and spirit of Elijah. Before the Messiah comes, you're going to get another Elijah. Now, they began to look for Elijah. And today, you know, the Jewish people still are looking for Elijah. They did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. But we find out that Jesus identified John the Baptist as the Elijah. I've got some notes there. We're going to skip it. Um, They're in your worship guide. Basically, Jesus and the entire New Testament acknowledges that John the Baptist is the one moving in the spirit of Elijah. It's in your notes. The next verse is the very last verse, verse 6. The entire last verse of the Old Testament. says, He, Johnny B., John the Baptist, will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else when I come, I will strike the land with total destruction. The end. 
I'm like, what? <laughs> That's just weird. The last words of the Old Testament are actually the first words of the New Testament spoken by God. This is the last time God spoke. And in the New Testament, we find in Luke, the very first time God speaks, there's a guy named Zechariah. He happens to be the father of John the Baptist. He was a guy who had been going to the temple regularly. He was a priest, and he loved God, and he'd been praying for the Messiah. God pulled Zechariah aside and said, Zechariah, you are going to be the one who's going to give birth to the new Elijah. Here's what it says. This is the first words of God in the New Testament. He says, God, speaking to Elijah, says, He, your son, John, will go into the world, will go in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Check this out. The very last words that God says in the Old Testament is, Sons, talk to your parents. Parents, talk to your kids. Because I am coming. And then the very first words from God in the New Testament are, Fathers, talk to your kids. Parents, talk to your kids. Kids, talk to your parents because I am coming. I want you to hear this, guys. Listen, the very last words of God were this. I'm coming, so mom and dad, make sure your kids know Jesus. Parents, talk to your kids about me. And kids, talk to your parents about God. See, we have a great divide in families today. And there would be so much more healing in our families if we could get things worked out at home. Am I right? And I think this is no mistake that God's great passion of the Old Testament, his final words were, let's work on things at home with me. And his first words in the New Testament, let's work at home with me. The very last word that he says is it, Unless I come with total destruction. The word destruction is curse. Interestingly, that's all the Old Testament does is curse us. All it does is remind us of how much we can't be holy on our own. That's why we need a Messiah. But check this out. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The remnant are the redeemed. So after Malachi was written, 450 years passed and God didn't say a thing. John the Baptist began preaching. He began preparing the way for the Messiah. He was baptizing people in the River Jordan. And lo and behold, here comes down this little dirt path, Jesus. John stops everything and he says this. He says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and John declared, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. He's saying, you know what? This is Jesus, the son of God, who's been around from all creation. He's the forgiver of sins. He's the Messiah I've been telling you about. So here this morning, I have a question for you. There is a day that is coming. I'm going to tell you something. Here's the divide. Let's hold this rope up. I'm going to be honest with you. The Bible says that Wide is the road that leads to destruction, and narrow is the number of those that find it. So let's do this. Let's go this way. Could you pass it down to somebody? Go ahead and pass it down again. Yeah, hang on to it. Here, let's do this. Just Now, the Bible says that there'll be actually more people lost than those that find Christ. 
It says, wide is the road that leads to destruction, narrows the road that leads to life, and few are those that find it. I would love, love for every single one of us in this room to be counted among the remnant of God. But I don't know your heart. I don't know where you stand. And you know what? This this line will divide families. What color is this cord? The only thing that separates us is the bloodline of Jesus Christ. If you want to go from the reviled to the remnant, it's as simple as acknowledging Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and acknowledging what he's done for us, allowing his blood to wash and cleanse you. When you walk the line, when you walk the blood of Christ, you are counted among his people. I want to pray for you today. I'll pull this rope here in just a second. It's a challenging word today, and it's one of those harsh words in the Bible that basically says that all of us need a Savior, and that few of us will actually find him. There are many of us here that are reviled before God. God wants to call you his child. He wants to call you among his remnant. So I want to pray and give you that opportunity. This is what Malachi is all about. This is what the scriptures are all about. Let's bow our heads. I want to challenge you. If you can lose your life, God can make a wonderful life out of your life. He can make wonderful things happen through you in this short time that we're here. This is a short life, and the bottom line is we don't know when it's going to be over. We don't know when it's going to end. But until then, until then, I will serve God. Until then, I will live for him all the way to the end. God, if there's anyone here, anyone at all, Father, that has not crossed the line, and Father, there are those that are still prideful in their heart, I pray that you'd help them to acknowledge their sin. Lord, I pray that you'd let them know that living for you is the most exciting, adventurous life in the world, and it's not boring that the greatest gain is in the next life, not in this. And Lord, I pray that there are those here that will acknowledge and understand that, Father, it is not a waste of time to live for you, but it's a life filled with purpose and meaning. If you're here today and you'd like to acknowledge Christ as your Savior, as your King, then I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. If you mean it from the heart, then it could be a life-changing moment for you. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. I've made some mistakes. But God, in you, I'm made new. I'm valuable again. Father, make me your child. Fill me with your spirit. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Malachi's challenge is simply surrender all. This is what he says. Malachi 3, 1, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But until then, I will feel the Lord. Until then, I will be counted among God's people. Until then, I will serve the Lord and I will keep the Lord's word close to my heart. I will serve him all the way to the end. How about you? Father, we love you. Thank you so much, Lord, for being with us here today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.